check it out. Before we get into the 36 Chambers episode of the Wu-Tang Podcast, we just want to let you know that the Wu-Tang Podcast is a Channel 10 Podcast production, so make sure you go check out channel10podcast.com for great interviews with great people who just do great things, whether it be Schooly D, Egyptian Lover, uh, D. Watkins, uh, Brandon Soderberg, or just, you know, me, the almighty AR and Singar Superior, giving our commentary on various things in hip-hop and life. Go to channel10podcast.com and check it out. Also, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Pocket Cast, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Do the same thing with the Wu-Tang Podcast. Check us out, wutangpodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever else. Look us up. Um, my co-host, Singar Superior, has a new project out. You definitely want to check that out. It's called Koros. That's K-O-U-R-O-S. Look it up on iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, wherever you get your music from. Um, make sure you, you, you know, show some love and support. Great hip-hop from a great producer mc very abstract if you like the wu-tang music definitely make sure you check that out go to sendguardsuperior.com for more once again thank you for the support make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend wu-tang podcast channel 10 podcast the almighty ar.com sendguardsuperior.com and with that let's start the show peace Again, we're back. This is the Wu-Tang Podcast, the Channel 10 Podcast production. It's me, the almighty ARR, taking the building, and I'm alongside... Singar Superior. And um, today is the day when we talk about the seminal, the introduction, the um, the monumental force that shook hip-hop known as... Enter the Wu-Tang, the 36 Chambers. 
And um, this album was released on November 9th, 1993. Um, just a couple quick facts about it. Uh, the title came from, um, they were inspired by a movie called The 36th Chamber of Shaolin. And the movie, which I just found out through Wikipedia, was also known as The Master Killer and Shaolin Master Killer. And of course, it was a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu flick that came out in 1978. You know, we're big Shaw Brothers fans over here. Um, check out some Shaw Brothers films on YouTube when you get a chance. Um, get your Kung Fu movie on. Um, but yeah, man, um, as we were just talking about off air, about, you know, my first time hearing this album is actually through you. Um, I think we were at Grandma's house, and um, you 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 had the cassette, um, and you played it, and um, I'm in the big system. And when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh man!" Because you know I heard other Wu Tang things, but it's just like, you know, I think I heard Wu Tang forever before I heard this. Actually, <laughs> mm, I mean, I uh, I actually I heard the uh, the W because I had oh yeah, W right. cassette before, and then I figured yeah. for whatever reason. Um, if they if I could find thirty six chambers or cassette, I should do that also. Um, oh, I got did you get the dome. W from me? Um, uh, no, I got it from my brother. Okay, maybe I got it from you then, cause I I think I recorded the W somehow through dubbing on cassette some type of way back in the day. <laughs> oh damn! But um, yeah, man, just researching about this album, it kind of took me back and just you know listen to those stories. Um, about you know how it was, was created you know um, it's pretty monumental and just like all the little different um, intricacies of how different songs were made um, you know this album is kind of credited with I guess bringing the East Coast back because you know 1993 that's when you have N.W.A. and Dr. Dre and The Chronic and everything the West Coast kind of took over hip-hop and one thing that I found that was interesting because I was always wondering why um, why they had two different versions of the seventh chamber on there and um, the seventh chamber part two um, you know I think this came from where did I get this from the Rolling Stone article because I'm um, in 2013 you know, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of uh, press regarding the 20th anniversary of the album so um, according to the Rolling Stone uh, the Seventh Chamber Part Two was a stripped-down remix that was made basically um, to, you know, showcase the bass, and it was kind of RZA's um, way of kind of trying to outdo Dr. Dre's bass, which I thought was pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. That is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, I don't like. I don't know if he. Uh, you know the two styles are completely different but um i kind of like both versions of the song um really i i mean i mean it's not a song that i really don't like on this album um well do you think and, um do you think this uh this project overall is um i guess timeless or do you think that it it, it has certain elements that kind of lets you know that it was made in you know 93 or 92 um, I would, I would say that it's timeless because um, there's nothing before it and nothing after it that sounds like it. Like even the things that try to sound like it, whatever they were doing at the time, like you can't recreate that sound. I don't feel like. And um, 
just going deeper into listening to it there's elements of things that happened beforehand so back in the day like in the 80s when you had the hip-hop routine type thing like even before they even made hip-hop songs so you had these groups that would do these routines and people would kind of say the same lyrics and cut in and cut out like that's kind of how this was formatted but then the lyrical content was different like they were talking about what was going on in the streets and then you know some a little bit of five percent stuff and then some wild kung fu stuff and they're all just coming back to back to back so that kind of made it different than you know some type of like furious five type of thing Mm. um and then the production was just you know like nothing before nothing after like even the wu-tang albums that came after this didn't quite sound like this you know yeah i mean and you know because of that um i had this you know, and you know, me and you, we go back and forth about the actual, the engineering quality of Wu Tang albums, and mm-hmm. and how, you know, I guess if you think about it, every Wu Tang album sounds the same. But I would say, just based on at least my concept of like an engineered album and like a mastered album, I would say this is like their their best engineered album because you know everything sounds the same, everything is uniform, which makes it which makes the album overall sound better. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, after this, they had better engineering, but then on a better engineered album, they had those one or two tracks that weren't so well engineered, so it kind of messed with the consistency of it. But this was kind of like the same all the way through. And um, there was one article I was looking at where they talked to some of the engineers, and they were talking about how... Um, you know, when they turned it in, it was like, this is just what it is. And it seemed like RZA, um, um, the guy was saying that it seemed like RZA, you know, he was very happy with it and he knew what he wanted. And, you know, the whole clan was pretty much very pleased with it. And, you know, some of the people at the label were kind of like, you know, kind of like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I can... I mean, I can, I don't know. I mean, a lot, certain things in, like during this time were kind of like grimy sounding. Like I know that, you know, the whole East Coast Renaissance thing technically was, it was kicked off of Into the Stage. And I guess I actually come to think mm. about Into the Stage uh, sonically. It was a pretty, it was actually a pretty well mixed album. Come to think about it. Yeah, it was grimy, um, but it was a bit, it was a bit different than this, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, what's interesting is, um, you remember, uh, what was it? Wu Block, the Wu Tang D Block collaboration that Ghostface and Sheik Lucia did. Yeah, you know, I, I had an extended conversation with someone that came over here like two weeks ago about that album. <laughs> um, well, I've been meaning to go back to, and you know, sidebar, I've been meaning to go back to Wu Massacre as well, because um, I think we had a we had a conversation about something Wu Tang related on Channel Ten podcast, and um, after listening to our conversation, I. I forgot what we were talking about, but for some reason, I was like, I should have brought up Wu Massacre. I think it had something to do with Raekwon. Um, yeah, Raekwon being updated or something like that we were talking about on the last episode. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the interesting thing is how Ghostface was saying, you know, when they do shows together, um, he and Sheik Luch, when they go back to back, um, you know, the mastering on Sheik Luch you know his his show tracks bang harder than ghostface and it kind of like makes for an uneven show a little bit so he kind of has to kind of step his performance up a little bit more so that was kind of interesting um but at the same time to me you know this 
this production regardless of you know how it may sound through the speakers at a, at a club this production is way better than a lot of that early d block stuff <laughs> oh yeah it is um and i don't i mean because you know the interesting thing about this album is that if you look back if you read like books like uh, alvin block blanco's uh uh the wu-tang and rizza and stuff like that and he goes like deeper into uh, what what RZA had in mind when it came to particular songs like on his track and so of uh, like for example and I think we've talked about this too uh, Method Man mm-hmm. how you know like you know RZA said that you know it, it's a song essentially made for, for like breakdancing or something like that and he said that you know the main reason why people dance to it is because of the drums and how you know people have kind of talked about the drums on this album in a sense that you know they don't really like hit hard like in a in like a in a clip in a in a classical fashion they still hit hard just from the way it's mixing from whatever he was using at the time yeah i mean like you know when you listen to the album from start to finish it it hits and um it seems like he adds something to it too sometimes because sometimes you know I, i went back and i got the samples from it and some of those joints, he's adding like an 808 under it at a certain point that sounds like it's part of the sample. But when you listen to the sample, that extra bass in it isn't there. So, um, you know, I really have to give RZA his credit for everything that he did with this album. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. And then when you look at some of the production at the time, like the switch ups that he did, like um, on certain tracks, like um, was it Brendan Ruckus? I think it was when Raekwon came in. Um, it might have been another song, Wu-Tang Clan, nothing the fuck. But one of them joints when Raekwon came in and, and the beat switched on his part. Then somebody else comes in and a whole nother element is brought into it. And then he mm-hmm. brings in like different things that, you know, weren't necessarily um, a thing in hip hop at that time. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, compared to, you know, our last two episodes when we talked about, uh, you know, Words from a Genius and Ooh, I Love You, Rakeem. Um, this this is pretty complex things that you know Riz is doing here. Yeah, and um, you know when it goes when it, going back to the drums, um, are you sure it's an 808? Because um, I do know that I'm not sure if he still does this. I was I would assume he does that. He he typically uses a, uses a 909 for his drums to like to put under him. Yeah, it might be a 909. I mean, I I, I just mean 808 in, in in the uh I guess colloquial sense of it of um you know that's just what people call that deep booming bass sound you know now <laughs> yeah um but on another note and like in regards to lyrical content um this is one thing that i've always said is that you know inspector deck is the unsung hero of the wu-tang um and you know album after album he always kind of shines and he he never really gets his credit to me but you know, on, even on this album, you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of different personalities on this album. Like even Jizza has his old his own whole song. Ghostface brings it in, you know, in a big way, and Raekwon follows up. But and Method Man has his own song. But you know, like I was listening to Cream and Inspector Deck's verse on there is one of the most depressing verses I ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, like his verse is almost like Kendrick Lamar's whole first album, just encapsulated in one verse. Mm. Or like Kendrick Lamar's verse on Pusha. T- yeah, or Kendrick or Kendrick Lamar's verse on uh, on that Pusha T song off of uh, that album. I can't think of right now. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yo, Deck, he just he just goes in about being in jail and there's all this crazy messed up stuff that happens to him. I'm like, man. And then on another song, he comes back like, I'm Messiah. I set the microphone on fire. Rap styles vary and carry like Mariah. Like he has some strong punchlines on this album. And you know, we'll talk about this on the future episode, but you know, on Wu Tang Forever, he has, you know, one of the most memorable verses in hip hop ever. You know, the I bomb atomically, Socrates philosophies and hypothesis. Like, you know, everybody, you know, even in high school, even though we were not of that era, everybody still knew that verse because, you know, we studied like Eminem and Cannabis and Big L, but for, you know, looking for that type of content, and this is in the early days of the internet. You really had to dig to find those type of lyrical verses, and so you would of course come across Inspector Deck, and you know, you know that album came out in '97, Wu Tang Forever. But you know, in 2003 and four, everybody knew that verse. But even on Wu Tang, um, you know, 36 Chambers, he 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 really did his thing on this album. Yeah, um, I guess speaking of Wu Tang Forever, that'll be 20 years old next year. Um, come yeah, think, I was yeah. just thinking that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and um, I just yeah. I had a conversation yesterday about Triumph with my girlfriend because I was listening to Thirty Six Chambers, and then uh, she put on she's a she's a pretty big Triumph fan, and then so she she played like Inspector Dex verse like back to back, so I can understand the science the the science behind it <laughs> or whatever shit mm. he was talking about. Anyway, um. Also, another thing about this album, aside from the engineering quality of it, is the fact that I think that um, when it comes to uh, verses and how it, everything was like mixed up, uh, this is like the the best mix of performers like for each song. So I feel like for the most part, you know, aside from like Master Killer and ODB, everyone kind of sort of got the got their and you got everyone got like their fair share. Now I guess thinking about it, that could be because there weren't as many people, but you know, usually. A lot of Wu Tang albums, even like a Wu Tang Forever, like it's like it's like it's a lot of Raekwon and Ghostface on every Wu Tang album. At least in my mm. experience, like do you, do you have like that? I mean, Ghostface. Feeling? Yeah, I mean, Ghostface even said like for this album for the for the Thirty Six Chambers, he said it was him and RZA. And you know, I don't know how true that is, but he, you know, he said. Like, um, here's a quote from Double uh, XL. They did, um, you know, they interviewed some Wu-Tang people um, for the 20th anniversary. And Ghostface says, me and RZA was always there. I'm the one that gave Wu-Tang the name. I'm the dude. He didn't reach out to me. We just did it. My man, we fucking sleep in the same house. He just had an idea and he was the only one that could carry it out. He executed it. You can talk about it all day, but nobody's executing it for you. You're going to be talking about it for the next 20 years. And that's what he did. That's why he's the main piece other than me through those beats and stuff like that. And being the nucleus to bring everybody together. That's RZA's position. So basically RZA's, I mean, uh, Ghostface kind of saying like this was his idea, but he wasn't about to do that shit. So RZA did it. (laughs) Uh... Uh, I mean, I well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, well, usually, I mean, Ghostface, he throughout the years, he's always said certain things like this, and RZA has never, well, at least from I've never read anything about or seen RZA ever kind of like say anything against it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they always say that Jizza, like, especially around this time, they said that Jizza's the head, and he's like the kind of like the, the 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 foundation behind it, and Rizza kind of did everything to put it together. But maybe Ghostface is the idea is because one thing that kind of tripped me out listening back to this album is like how Ghostface is an overarching theme in this album, because there's one skit where it's just like. Like, like Riz is just like, Ghostface Killer. And then you expect Ghostface to come on, but he doesn't. Then yeah. this is a whole big shout out of a whole bunch of other people. And then on a whole nother song, you hear ODB say something about Ghostface Killer. Yeah, that, that, that's really true. I mean, that's true. And then, like, also, um, Ghostface would. Yeah, he was on every solo album, right? In um in on in the uh on the first the first wave of solo albums. For the uh, mo- yeah, ODB, mm-hmm. Raekwon, of course. Um, do we do? I guess we do count Inspector Duck, ninety eight. But I don't think he was on Inspector Duck. So he might not have been on that one. Um, but he was on um Method Man's album, I believe. Uh, what? I think yeah, I think he was too. And then he was on. At least Ray Kwan was on that. But yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he was definitely on Jizz's album. <laughs> yeah, Wolf Chamber. Yeah, man, that's one of my favorite Wu Tang songs ever. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, also like you know, going back to Inspector Deck, like um, you know, he continues his own slot of lyricism. Um, because I would say that arguably one of my favorite um deck verses is on uh cuban links on um i can't think of the name of the song but he's like you know cruising through the third world my third eyes to god in light something 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 we all die tonight um you remember that song um guillotine swords yeah 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 yeah. guillotine swords yeah yeah and like um yeah i mean you know inspector deck and you know if you know we've probably like made some jokes about him before um because i'm not gonna lie at some points um in some videos that we've seen he just seems kind of old and his and his voice doesn't sound the same but um and this is a whole nother tangent but you know his newer stuff his Zarface stuff he sounds like that old inspector that i don't know if you listened to it but one like one day i randomly put up a Zarface album and inspector deck is just on there like killing it just slaying everything Mm. Um, and it's funny because even on the Wu Tang video game, he was my favorite character. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, apparently Ghostface uh isn't on Takao. Okay, Inspector Deck is though. Mm. <laughs> Which is interesting. And it's funny because you know you have all these nine people and they all have their own individual relationships with each other. Um. But um, you know, like Deck knew you God and somebody else, and that's how they were brought in. Um, I think I oh, did. I put this in the notes. Um, there was one interview where he was talking about how he knew certain people in the clan, and Rizzo didn't even know that he knew him, but they used to sell drugs together and be on a block. <laughs> yeah. And then there was another um interview I saw where like. I think when they're trying to do the album cover and they went to the hood with a van and they were trying to find all the Wu-Tang niggas, but you know, it was niggas with hoodies. And so they had to go and kind of round them all up. And I think it was like two white girls or whatever going through the projects in Staten Island trying to round them up. And they were kind of, you know, intimidated at first, but they were the nicest people in the world. <laughs> that mm-hmm. whole type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
but um um deck did say that um that he and raekwon had two verses a piece on the original cream and uh, he was trying to get rizzo to re-release it because he still has the original but rizzo was like nah like you know y'all did y'all thing and that's that i mean well apparently rizzo has a so, lot of he has a lot of shit i mean you know remember he he recently emptied out his uh I guess it's his NPC and gave a whole bunch of beats to Kanye West and some other people mm. from like from like uh, you know I guess older beats that you know he's made for Wu Tang Clan albums. I'm pretty sure like um, we're talking about probably Wu Tang Forever era because of that uh, the, the basement flood that happened around um, what '94 I think. Yeah, for Takao. Yeah, um, but then you know also going back to Ghostface and his uh, his stature in the clan, you know. He does have a, a different relationship with RZA, it seems, because um, he is, I, I would, I mean, just off the top of my head, like, he's really the only, like, um, a, a Wu-Tang Clan member that's actually gone back, you know, after, like, the first run of solo albums and, and has had RZA, like, oversee um, the entirety of an album twice. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting because he's the main one, well, he and Raekwon, they're the main ones that, you know, kind of criticize RZA in public. But at the same time, they still kind of defer to him. So it's kind of a weird dynamic there. <laughs> yeah, and Ghostface, I mean, you know, now with this new album they're working on, supposedly he has, you know, creative control over it. Yeah. Real talk, I want to hear a Wu-Tang album that's controlled by Inspector Deck because, you know, a lot of times his verses are my favorite and he does production, um, which is kind of dope. But one thing that I didn't realize is that Fourth Disciple did scratches on Wu Tang uh, on uh, Thirty Six Chambers, mm. and like you know, even though you know at this point Wu Tang is like these nine people, they they um, have a bigger clan than what is actually presented on the on the actual. Um, album and that kind of reminds me of like a mob deep situation where you have you know prodigy and havoc but then you got all these other niggas who are kind of mob deep affiliated and all this other type of stuff so you know it's like a list of shout outs of people on um into the wu-tang that you know later on you hear about down the line and it's interesting because there's some people i want to say um the dude Sha meek I think Jizza said something about him on Words from the Genius. And then on Wu-Tang so. Forever, you hear... I mean, not Wu-Tang Forever, but then on 36 Chambers, you hear Sean Meek got his head bust. Hmm. Uh, I may have to go back and, and try to and try to catch the... Um, yeah, I think I, I heard that, though. Um, you know, like... I think um another person like that that's been um like I think um Y Kim I think uh I think Jizza mentioned him in Words from the Genius I think Rizza shouted him out um uh on Thirty Six Chambers and then I do know that I remember that when Takao met the man shout out Y Kim or I think Rizza shouted out Y Kim on What the Blood Cloud I think on Takao oh yeah now oh yeah now I remember seeing all that controversy years later about you know some type of beef and everything. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, that that chamber music interview that Wakim did years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty interesting. But um, another thing about this album is uh, "You God and Master Killer." Mm. So, um, 
to me, they also had, you know, even though they weren't featured on the album as prominently, you know, their their verses are extremely memorable. And it's funny because, you know, I I really thought it's it's interesting hearing things at different ages in life. Because when I first heard Master Killer's verse on Wu Tang Forever, I didn't understand it. And then when he came out with his solo album finally and I found that shit dope and I went back and listened to his verse I understood the poetry of it and mm. then even with you God like his his verse was a show stealing verse on there yeah show stealing to the point that on the hip hop honors Tyler Kweli uh, uh, recited uh, you God's verse yeah yeah Um. so it's like you know, a lot of people criticize uh, you God for certain albums, but you know you cannot front on the impact that he had with that verse, and um, you know even to the point where you know we just did an interview on the Channel Ten podcast with uh, Brandon Soderberg from Baltimore City Paper, and you know his 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 blog that started him in the in his you know game with journalism is called No Trivia, and that was based off you God verse, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. You know, uh, bro, I'm going to mm. give it to you with no trivia. I'm like cocaine straight from Bolivia. My hip-hop will rock and shock the nation like the Emancipation Proclamation. Like, like that's like those lines are always in my head. And that's you, God, right there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Master Killer, he sounded mad hungry on 36 Chambers. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was... He probably wasn't even a rapper at that point. Like he pretty much said he had some thoughts that he wrote down on a piece of paper and and like showed Jizza and Jizza was like, "Yo, if you can say this shit the right way, then you can be on." Because <laughs> yeah. like the original, like like that shit didn't even really rhyme for like mad bars until he started rhyming. <laughs> yes, yeah, but then like, but then. And so, you know, when I was younger, I thought that shit was so whack. But um, later on, I really peeped what he was saying. And I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. Like, this is some whole other shit. I mean, yeah, you know, Massacre has one of the most, like, off-kilter yet on-point flows in hip-hop. Like, you know, I know we've talked about Ninth Prince. And I, I believe you said on the Channel 10 podcast a while back that, um, that you finally understand... Night Princess blow up to a point, I think, or whatever you said. Yeah, 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 I do, I do. Because at one point, um, I had him as the second worst rapper ever in history next to Silk the Shocker. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was before my ear was tuned a certain type of way to really understand what he was doing on tracks. I mean, I used to think Freeway was whack. Really? And now Freeway is one of my favorite rappers ever. But I couldn't stand Freeway at one point. And then it's funny because you know how people say like Action Bronson is a Ghostface clone. Like I used to say Freeway yes. is is a fucking Ghostface clone who can't even rhyme words together. But you know that was before I knew certain things and could understand certain things. So you know we all grow. Yeah. Well, I will say. Well, never mind. But. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else is there to say about this album? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, um, 
I, yeah, I mean, I do. I like every song, like, but you know, like I, I've always been like trying to figure out if I could like spot, um, like a certain element from this album that kind of like, like that kind of like you know shows how shows its age. And I don't know, I kind of can't because like at mm-hmm. one point I would say like shame on a nigga kind of sorta because of, like the horns that mm-hmm. like Rizzo uses every so often. But I mean he does the same thing on like you know Pinky Ring and other you know on other songs from various Wu Tang albums and solo releases throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe certain lyrical aspects might, but. At the same time, like if this album would have dropped today, people like, like, like people would be like, "Oh shit, what the fuck is this?" I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's it is a weird. I don't know. It is it is a different album. And um, you know, speaking of Shame on a Nigga, also, uh, you know, some people have made some quite a bit of money off of Thirty Six Chambers, including like uh, the singer songwriter Sil Johnson, uh, the the guy who made Is It Because mm-hmm. I'm Black. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he said they sitting in the house or uh, uh, built on Wu Tang money. Apparently, he got a lot of money off of Shame yeah. Money. I find it kind of weird. It's it's kind of interesting because like um, you know, hip hop always got a lot of flack for sampling, but there's so many people that I wouldn't know about if it wasn't for samples, you know? And yeah. it brings their careers back and it puts money back in the artist's pockets a lot of times. Not all the time, but all the, but like a lot of times. A lot of these people wouldn't have money if it wasn't for people sampling. Cause they got in these, you know, jerk contracts from, you know, the music industry cause they paved the way for the hip hop generation and they had to take these shitty contracts and you know, hip hop people were able to freak it to a little bit better. To where you have RZA, who kind of completely revolutionized the way shit goes. Like he turned down a million dollar deal for all these people who don't have any money. Like I was looking at a story where, you know, they would go and steal um, canned food and bring it back <laughs> to the studio. Yeah. Like. And he's turning down a million dollar deal to get the right deal so that everybody can have a solo album. And um, I'm not sure if Loud Records has a documentary or um, if they're working on one. But I got to see that because, you know, um, you know, Wu-Tang was at, um, um, as a group was signed to Loud Records through uh, RCA. And, um, you know, Loud Records to me is as iconic as a Def Jam or you know a death row whatever else like you had wu-tang mob deep big pun exhibit alcoholics um three six three six mafia like come on now um you know what's interesting too is that um if you on title um i see that for 36 chambers it says bmg recordings and not see i don't know what did loud records fold into anyway i always get to get it mixed up well, Loud was under RCA, and RCA no longer exists. Boy, well, they had distribution through RCA at the time. Yeah, so, I don't know. Like, you know, this game is crazy. Like, there were more major labels back then. Not many more, but there were some more. 
and now there's yeah. like one or two like there's universal there's um sony and warner i think those are the three major labels now and then um, what's the other one maybe virgin is that still a label or is that under something else i don't know i, I know warner sony and universal hmm. well i mean but well, we still have well rizzo still has all of his record labels whatever he whatever he does with them like see now we could do an episode about that all of rizzo's record labels I mean, I did see a, a, a Wikipedia page about that actually. Yeah, I mean, like, what what, the, what does he do? Like, he had our right, Wu Tang Records, Wu Music Group, Soul Temple Records, uh, um, Razor Sharp Records, th- which was through um, the Electra. I think, um, and then on Instagram, I see Protect Your Neck Records for the new Wu Tang artists coming through, um, and I think we follow them, so you know, definitely follow. Um, Wu-Tang Podcast on Instagram and Channel 10 Podcast on Instagram but um you know we getting some love out there but um I don't know like you know I think I think RZA has opened up an avenue for different people to make a way and you know feed their families and stuff so that's definitely commendable yeah hey man he uh he says that I mean I've read some interview where he said that um he still goes like back to like his his home neighborhood or whatever like that and he slaps like hundred dollar bills under people's doors man that's the type of level i gotta be on like but you know i think i think i think um going into this album i i see uh that riz is a genius and you know we might even have to do episodes on his books yeah, I mean, there's so there's so much that could be done, and then books on him we could do. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if we could get Alvin Blanco and, and Alvin Page on. Yeah. And it was crazy. It's like his books are so inspirational to me that I've actually given them to people, so I have to get them again. And like I have like e copies of them. I want to like actually have the hard copy again because you know. Um, yeah, remember, we went when uh, we went to. I think you took me to Westview when I got Wu Tang Manual. Like I think like the second week came out. Did I buy it too? I must have bought it too that time. Because I had it and I gave it to somebody a couple years ago. And in his second book, I bought And I was in the middle of reading it. And I was like on some real inspirational part. And I met somebody who was moving to another country who I was never going to see again. So I gave it to her for her flight. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Like, if you ever go on Twitter and like certain like musicians, mm-hmm. um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like just people who I may see on Twitter, and they're like, "I got, I got my, I got my books for the summer or something like that." And every so often, I'll see uh, the the Dow Wu in there. Yeah, the Dow Wu. I have a, a PDF copy of that because um, I gave my copy away. But um, I think I gotta get another hard copy. But yeah, I mean, I didn't get that far into it, but from when I got into it, um. You know, it's a, it's a great book, and Riz's hello, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book, and um, you know, I definitely recommend to anybody. Um, so yeah, Thirty Six Chambers, check it out if you haven't already. If you haven't, I don't know what rock you're living under, but um, definitely get on the East Coast hip hop with that. Um, it definitely influenced a lot. You know, especially you know going into Nas and Jay Z and Biggie and. 
you know, there's so many connections with this album that we didn't even get into on this short episode. But um, what we'll do is leave some um, some uh, some interesting articles about the album and stuff in the description. So check that out. Um, I also put that up at WuTangPodcast.com. So check that out and um, definitely check out Channel10Podcast.com. And um, we'll put up something with some merchandise and things like that so that you guys can support because, you know, we definitely need to keep this movement going. Damn right. And um, this is the Almighty AR. Our tick in the building, the AlmightyAR.com. Um, signing out. And I'm saying God. Sing God Superior in the building. About to get SingGodSuperior.com. Um, I think by the time this episode comes out, we should have it up, right? Yeah, we should. Yeah, I got a lot, of, got got a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we'll have that up. So you know, check us out. Peace, peace. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu Tang could be dangerous. Yes, my lord. We saw them practicing with each other. Their kung fu was first class. Hmm. Shaolin shadow boxing. And the Wu-Tang sword style. If only...